Now turn again with me, please, <coughs> to our Bible reading in the Old Testament Scriptures, to Second Chronicles, chapter 33. And we're going to take as our text this evening the words of verse 12 and verse 13. Second Chronicles, chapter 33, and we're looking at verse 12 and verse 13. Throughout the history of the, the Christian church, there are many examples of great conversions. And here we have in the record of the Old Testament scriptures, one of the greatest conversions ever recorded in all of the old art, the New Testament, that of King Manasseh. He had a godly father. His father was King Hezekiah, tutored by Isaiah, influenced by the great prophet himself. He was Hezekiah's son that was born after his recovery. Remember Hezekiah was sick nigh on to death and he prayed and the Lord heard his prayer and the Lord intervened in his life. And in that interval, that intervening period, he, he gave birth to uh, Manasseh. And old Bishop Hall in his contemplations, he puts it like this. He would have been better going childless than giving birth to such a child. Evil princes succeed to good, he said, for the exercise of the church. And good succeed to evil for the comfort of the church. The account of King Manasseh's reign is given to us twice in the Bible. This is the witness of the Holy Spirit to us. We're introduced to him in 2 Kings chapter 21. We looked at 2 Kings when we were looking at Josiah. And so we have... There, the whole reign of Manasseh outlined for us in chapter 21, verse 1 to 18. He came to the throne at a very tender age of only 12 years of age. You would think someone at 12 years of age would not be tutored really in the sins of the world, but he, he was. He had an evil heart. And the narrative tells us very quickly how he undid all the good of his godly father's Hezekiah's reign. And if you were just left with the account in 2 Kings chapter 21, it would be quite hopeless. The son of a godly father who, did all, who tried to undo all the good that his father did. But we're, we're thankful for 2 Chronicles chapter 33 because here we read of his late repentance in life. All the influence of his godly father was not in vain. Bishop Hall, in his commentary, reminds us that solemnly we may not measure grace by means. Now, we believe in the means of grace. But Manasseh was blessed with the influence of the wonderful means of grace. He was brought up in a godly home. He received <coughs> scriptural instruction. Imagine, he heard Isaiah in the court of his father. And yet he renounced his godly upbringing. And he ran full speed after the abominations of the heathen. And again old Bishop Hall says this. How vain are all the outward helps without the influence of God's spirit. And the spirit that breathes where he listeth. Good education raiseth great hopes. But the proof of them is in divine benediction. That's a word for every parent. 
We can educate our children. We can influence our children for good and for righteousness. But only the Holy Spirit can regenerate our children. And put new life within them. This text reminds us here in 2 Chronicles chapter 33, 12 and 13. That there's hope for all. Because we have a God of mercy. And a God who pardons. Conversions don't have to be dramatic like, like King Manasseh's was. This is a dramatic conversion. But conversion has to precede entrance into heaven. And I want to say to the youngest boy and girl in the gathering tonight and to the oldest man and woman in the gathering tonight, you can't get into the kingdom of heaven without being converted. You can get in without being converted like Manasseh was. But you need to be converted. The conversion of Manasseh, I believe still, it provides us with answers as to, well, what is true conversion? If you need to be converted to get into heaven, what is true conversion? So let's just look at his life. And I think there are many lessons from the life of King Manasseh that will teach us what true conversion is. And blessed by the Spirit of God, I pray will bring sinners in the gathering tonight to that place where they will be converted. Let's take a little look, first of all, at the pre-conversion lifestyle of Manasseh. Sometimes, when we hear people give testimony in meetings, they take a long time to tell you about their life prior to coming to the Lord. And I think in so doing, they make a huge mistake. But both passages here describe the reign of Manasseh. And I don't believe they cover all his 50 years. 55 years. They don't cover everything that, is, that has happened in his life. But they give us a, a, a flavor. They give us an illustration of what was happening in his life. Verse 1 to 5 of this chapter emphasizes how he deliberately rebelled against the worship of his father. That's significant. He was a, rebel, he was a rebellion. A rebellious young man because he rebelled against the worship of God. And this was something that his father Hezekiah had taken so seriously. And sadly we know it all to be true that when children rebel, sometimes the first instance of that rebellion is against the worship of the God of their father and mother. Because that's how the devil would have it to be. Verse 2 tells us that he did evil in the sight of the Lord, just like the heathen. Though he was brought up in, in the court, he would have been shielded from so much that was going on in the land round about him. At 12 years of age, this young man, without the internet, without social media, without the exposure to all of the depravity that is prevalent in our own day and generation, yet he did that which was just like the heathen. Why? Because he had a heart like the heathen. And you can live in the court of King Hezekiah and still have an unconverted heart just like the heathen. Verse 3 reminds us he undid all the good work of reformation which his father had instituted. It's always a grievous thing, isn't it? When you see someone and they build up a business and they do well in it and, and they succeed in it and Oh, the blessing of God is poured out upon them. Uh, and then 
it comes when they hand it over to their son or their sons and their son and their sons quickly destroy it in a few years. It didn't take long for Manasseh to destroy all that his father had built up. Verse 4 to 5 we read how he introduced idolatry into the very house of God. The place where David and Solomon said the name of the Lord would be here. There never would be any idols, images put up here. This was the place that he reared up the image. Verse 6 shows the very powers of darkness over his heart because it tells us he consulted with witches and wizards. We think that's a phenomenal, that's just for today. You know, Harry Potter and all that goes with Harry Potter and all the powers of darkness that goes with it, it's as old as time itself. Here was this man, educated, with the best education in the land. And he didn't go to the other men who were educated in the things of God. Rather, he went to wizards who dabbled in the occult and who worshipped the devil and were in touch with the, the powers of darkness. It said he caused his, his children to pass through the fires in the valley of Hinnom. This was the occult. He was dedicating his children to the occult. Some of this was child sacrifice to the occult. And I think you and I would deceive ourselves if we don't see some sort of a parallel with our own day and generation. Parental authority is scorned in this land and in many schools, I'm not saying in all schools, but in many schools that parental authority is called into question as well. When the young man or young woman says, my mum and dad don't allow me to do that, that, that authority will be called into question. Sadly, the spiritual authority of Scripture in our land is scorned today. There are many who work, walk behind Reformation banners. And the very banners that tell us of the Reformation, they scorn. They scorn the Reformers. And they scorn what the Reformers stood for, even though they professed to walk behind them. We have dark forces abroad in our land today. There's a large percentage of little babies never see the light of day. I gave you that illustration just a few weeks ago. In England alone. Because they're killed. Legally, in the womb. This is happening today. This is not Second Chronicles chapter 33. This is 2024. This is society in our own day and generation. Now, perhaps in your heart you're thinking, well, that's, a, that's not a fair comparison, Pastor. <clears throat> My unconverted life does not parallel with that. Let me take you to one verse of Scripture. This is a verse that, is, I have to say genuinely, has really troubled me over the past few weeks. 
Romans chapter 1 describes a people who have been given over. Describes a sinful heart. You read the whole chapter. But chapter, 30, chapter 1 verse 30 says that they are backbiters. And then it has this uh, little phrase here in it. They are haters of God. This is the heart of the unregenerate. The heart of the unregenerate is not passive. The heart of the unregenerate is active in its animosity and it is in its dislike and its hatred toward God. They hate God. You read the whole chapter and they deny his being, they, they deny his claims. They deny his providential rule. They deny his law. They deny his claims. And this is a frightening portrait of the unconverted heart, your heart. Now, this is the Manasseh that lurks in your soul. Sin lurks in every soul. Rebellion lurks in every soul. The disregard of God's law is evident all abroad today, but it's just as much abroad in your own life and in your own heart tonight. Jehovah spoke to Manasseh. Jehovah spoke to the people, but they wouldn't listen. Tradition tells us that it was under Manasseh's reign that Isaiah the prophet was martyred and put to death. The very prophet who ministered to Manasseh's father, Manasseh, put to death. Oh, what a frightening picture. I do want to listen. I do want to hear. It's not a matter. I do want to listen. I do want to hear. I want to put out of mind those who tell me who I am before God and the way to God. That's 2024. That's the world we live in. Now please don't tell me you don't have a heart that needs to be repented of. Because there's not a heart in this gathering. There's not a heart in on alone. There's not a heart on planet earth tonight that doesn't need to be repented of. I want you to notice secondly that the providential intervention of God and Manasseh's life that brought him to repentance. God allowed him to go on for so long. He went on long. A long period of time. He was an old man by the time he came to repentance. But God brought him to the place where he couldn't go on any further. And so we read in verse 11, The Lord brought upon them the captains of the hosts of the king of Assyria, which took Manasseh among the thorns and bound him with fetters and carried him to Babylon. Manasseh was made to feel the chastening rod of God upon his life. He refused to listen to the prophets. He refused to listen to Isaiah. He had Isaiah put to death, but God brought the bands of the Assyrians into the land and he was captured. In the most brutal way. They caught him in the thorns. They, they put him in fetters. They took him in captivity. Uh, to the land of Babylon. And he couldn't stand. He couldn't stand before the enemy. Because the Lord wasn't with him. Sin cost him his throne. And sin will cost you everything that you have. Everything that you're holding on to. Everything that you refuse to repent of. Sin will have it all one day. I'm telling you, it will have it all. I often wonder what providential intervention will, will it take before someone on along will repent. What will, it, what will it require? 
How often have men and women been spoken to? They've heard prophets, they've heard preachers, they've heard parents. They've been spoken to just like Manasseh was spoken to, but they haven't listened. And then suddenly God just intervenes in their life and stops them in their tracks. And how often have ministers of the gospel been sent to someone who, have been, who has been led on the broad of their back in an emergency unit in the hospital. And please go and speak to mum. Please go and speak to dad. Please go and speak to my son, my daughter. About their need of salvation. Sometimes. God takes away everything. God takes away possessions. God takes away the very ones that we love. Before that soul will flee from death, destruction and despair. What price, dear soul, are you prepared to, pray, to pay for sin and sinning? What's the price? What's the price that you're prepared to pay? <clears throat> God sent affliction to the life of Manasseh. Why? To bring them to repentance. That's a wonderful thing. We might fear affliction. But when we look at the overall perspective that cast it in a new light, God sends affliction to our lives in order to bring us to ourselves. Remember the prodigal, he brought him to the end of himself. No longer did he have money. He had to feed. He had to eat out of the very truck of the swine, the very pigs that he was looking after. He was brought so low. He couldn't have been brought any lower. He was brought to affliction. But he was brought to repentance. Romans 2 and 4 tells us, Despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and long suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leadeth thee to repentance. Here we have affliction and goodness all in one breath. And if it takes affliction, whatever that affliction is, to bring you to repentance, we will rejoice for all eternity with you in the goodness of God that has brought you to repentance. Think of all the ones in the Bible that God sent affliction to. I think of Pharaoh and the Egyptians and God afflicted them plague after plague after plague in order that they would repent. I think of Jonah. God sent a storm. He was cast overboard in order to make him repent. I think of that hardened Roman jailer in the jailhouse and he had beaten up those Christian preachers of the gospel, Paul and Silas, and at midnight God sent an earthquake to bring them to repentance. I think of Saul of Tarsus, proud and brazen, going to Damascus to persecute the Christians. And God put him in the dust of the road, going up to Damascus to bring them to repentance. He lost his very eyesight so that he could see the Savior. God brought him above everything else. I think of how God sent his only begotten son to the cross of Calvary. He was afflicted with the afflictions of our sin. In order that we might be brought to repentance. We read in Acts 5 and 31. Him hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior. For to give repentance to Israel and the forgiveness of sins. The son of God had to become a savior in order to give repentance. Repentance is a gift. I, I believe, I think the older I get, the more I believe in it. And 
in the great providence of God, that God has a purpose in where we are and, and what's happening to us, even the smallest minute details, God has a purpose and a, and a plan in it. And there's a purpose in the plan for you being here this evening. There's a purpose in the plan and what's happening in your life at the present time. And maybe you're fighting against it. Maybe you're like Saul of Tarsus and the Lord's saying to you, it's hard to kick against the pricks. Maybe you're battling, maybe you're fighting against the very afflictions that God is loading upon your soul. But all the time, all the time, the Lord is bringing you to a himself. How, how one day will bow before the Lord and we will thank him for the afflictions that he sent us that drove us to God. I want you to notice thirdly the experience of penitence that Manasseh went through. A penitent is someone who is repenting. What does it look like? What does true penitence look like? Well, verse 12 tells us that the penitent will seek the Lord because it tells us here that he besought the Lord his God. He started to pray. Oh, it wasn't that he didn't know how to pray. He had been taught how to pray in his home, but now away from home, father dead in a foreign land. What does he remember? He remembered how to pray. And why did he remember how to pray? Because Hezekiah taught him how to pray. And that gives encouragement to all of us who have children who have grown up into young adulthood and are still unsaved. They might be far from your home tonight. They might be far away from your spiritual influence tonight. But they can't forget what they were taught. And one day, blessed by the Spirit of God, We'll hear them starting to pray. Just like Manasseh did. And maybe you who are present. Maybe it's a long time from you have prayed. Maybe you haven't prayed from your childhood days really. Yeah, maybe you haven't prayed for weeks. Maybe you haven't prayed for months. God's brought you to the crossroads. God has brought you to a brick wall. You can't go any further. Because he wants you to start to pray. It's a good thing when God brings us to the place where we can do nothing else but pray. That's a good place to be in. That's the place you're in tonight. Thank God for it. We read those words of Isaiah. That Manasseh would have heard in, in, in his younger days in the court of his father. Isaiah 55, 6 and 7. Seek ye the Lord while he may be found. And call upon him while he is near. Repenting sinners are, are exhorted. They're, they're directed to pray and to seek the Lord for mercy and for pardon. And they just don't pray. God forgive me. But they, the Bible tells us they pray and then they forsake the way of sin. Because that's what verse 7 says. Let the wicked forsake his way. And the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return unto the Lord. You know, brethren and sisters, God doesn't save us to continue in sin. God saves us to bring us out of sin. And if you pray for forgiveness, you have to pray for deliverance. God bring you out of the sin that you're in. Let me give the reassurance to you from the word of God this evening. 
If you seek him earnestly, will he hear you? Yes, he will. If you cry unto him for salvation, will he answer you? Yes, he will. I love those lovely gospel verses. We've thought about them in so many different ways over the years. The whosoever, the Romans 10 and 13, the Acts 2, 21. The whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Can we write your name in there? We certainly can. Can we write who you are in there? We certainly can. You're the whosoever. And if you start to pray and you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. Manasseh not only called upon the Lord, but he humbled himself before Almighty God. He humbled himself. You know this idea of humbling, it means to submit. That's just simply what it means. It means to submit. For all of that time, Pharaoh refused to humble himself, to submit to Jehovah. So Jehovah put plague and plague upon him. First Peter 5 and 6, the apostle says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourselves. Submit yourselves. Submit to God. Submit to the gospel. Take away that proud, haughty spirit that you have and, and, and cast it aside and just submit who you are to God and ask for his grace and pardon. And what does the second part of the verse say? And he will exalt you in due time. And that's exactly what happened to Manasseh. He besought the Lord. He humbled himself. He prostrated himself before God. And God heard his prayer. And God exalted him. God answered that prayer. How do I know? Well, notice with me in closing his personal assurance of pardon. Something wonderful happened. Verse 13 tells me uh, he prayed and he was entreated of him and heard his supplication. God heard his prayer. And God still hears prayer. And he hears the prayer of the repenting sinner. We often thought of Psalm 34 and preached upon those lovely words. I sought the Lord. Psalm 34 and 4. I sought the Lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked unto him and were lightened and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him. He cried. The Lord heard and the Lord saved him. God not only hears the sinner's supplication, but God brings that sinner and makes him a son in his family. As many as received him, to them give he the power, the right, the privilege to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. I don't want you to leave this building tonight doubting, doubting that God could ever answer your prayer. God can answer your prayers. You sit in that seat. Before you get to the, the front door to shake hands with, with me going out, God can have answered your prayer. You can tell me going out through the door, I prayed, I believe God has answered me. That's how confident I am, isn't it? Why are we so confident? Well, we're confident because the blood of Jesus Christ still cleanses sinners from sin. There's still power in the blood of Jesus. We read in 1 John 1 and 7 and 8, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, with fellowship one with the other, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. It goes on cleansing, that's what it means. The present continuous tense. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Aren't you glad you don't have to confess your sins to me? Just go to God. 
Just go to him in prayer. There was no prophet with Manasseh. He was there alone. There was no priest with Manasseh. He was there alone. But he had the ear of heaven. God heard him. And God delivered him. And Manasseh came back because God freed him from all his chains. His, his fetters were broken. He was set free. I don't know how he was brought back to Jerusalem, but he was brought back to Jerusalem. The fetters were broken. The bars were, were loosed. He was out of the prison. I'm glad God still breaks the, the bars of the prison house of sin. God can break the fetters. God can set you free. And he came back with a wonderful testimony. And what was his testimony when he came back uh, from Jerusalem? Then Manasseh knew that the Lord Jehovah, he was God. For some 50 odd years, he had tried to put it out of his mind. He had tried to put it out of the consciousness of the very nation over which he reigned. By his actions, he was saying Jehovah was not God. But now, as he sought God, as he was afflicted by God, as he experienced this wonderful relationship with God, he came back and he told the very opposite story. And now his testimony in the nation is, the Lord, Jehovah, he is God. What, what a testimony. I am sure the godly remnant of Judah had given up on Manasseh for lost. They had watched his reign. They had watched the country slip into corruption and degradation. They had watched the very structures that his father had carefully put up dismantled. They had watched the edifices of idolatry being raised. Where was the hope? Now the king was taken away into Babylon. They never expected to see him again. But lo, he comes back. And he comes back a different man. And he's telling them, the Lord, Jehovah, he is God. As, as conversion. Conversion is such a change. Whether in the young or the old. It's that change of disposition, inclination. It's that change of, of even thinking. It's even what I think has changed. The things that I, I once loved, now I hate. The things that I once hated, now I love. That's conversion. His repentance was not merely in, in words, but also in works. I didn't take time to read down the rest of the chapter, but you can read how in his final years he tried to undo what he had done in, a, in his earlier years. He genuinely tried to undo it. The king who had built altars of idolatry, he now, verse 15, 16 tells us, he now repaired the altar of the Lord. That's significant. The place of sacrifice was properly reinstituted and peace and thank offerings were now made. And can you, can you, can you imagine what that must have been like in the temple? The altar of Jehovah now had the sacrifice upon it. And that smell ascended up heavenward. As a sweet smelling savour before Almighty God. He began his reign in sinful rebellion. But he ended it with God's blessing. How you finish is more important than how you start. And the only way to finish well is to finish with Christ. That's the only way to finish well. It's the assurance of, of his parting in your heart and life. You know, I could go to you when you're dying and you could tell me you've got a million in this account and a million in that account. 
and you've got property, you've got friends, you've got position, but you're dying. But you haven't got what you need. Pardon. That's what you need. Pardon. That will be my prayer for all of you, from the youngest to the oldest, that you'll finish well. You'll finish with God's pardon in your heart and in your life. With just a little part of the journey to go, men and women. I urge you tonight, just take the sinner's place, for there's no other place you can take. Just take the sinner's place. Come as a guilty, hell-deserving sinner before a righteous, holy God. And seek him. Seek him for pardon. I love that fifth verse and that lovely invitation hymn, Just as I am. That's how you come. Just as I am, thou wilt receive. Wilt welcome, pardon, cleanse, relief. Because thy promise I believe. O Lamb of God, I come. I come. You can't enter heaven without true conversion. You can't enter heaven without being pardoned. And the Spirit of God invites you to come tonight and experience that part. If I can be a further help to you, just you intimate that to me as you leave, going out the same. I'm always here after the services, here to help, to talk. I can only open the scriptures with you, spend time with you, praying with you, showing to you from God's word, God's way of mercy and pardon. But finish well. And the only way to finish well is with God's pardon in your heart and life.